dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Podcast Winterfell, Mythos of the Raven. Dark Wings, Dark Words. Welcome back to Podcast Winterfell. We are a part of the DVR Podcast Network. Check us out at DVRPodcast.com. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. This is Mike. I'm part of the Deep Dive Reaction Show. I usually do with Tracy. Today I'm going to do something a little different for us. I want to talk about the mythology of the Raven and how it plays into Game of Thrones. There will be some book stuff, but just details from scenes that have already aired in the show, so no spoilers. This is not a prediction show. There's not any crackpot theories. Just a look at some of the stuff that may have inspired George. And maybe a little speculation. I usually can't help myself. I started reading about ravens, crows, and jackdaws and their history with people, and I'm just really impressed with the way George has drawn together ancient threads of mythology into his tale in a new way, which is what great storytellers do. So, let's get to it. In the television show Game of Thrones and the book series A Song of Ice and Fire, creator George R.R. Martin draws on influences from regal European history and the folklore that fostered it. The influence of pre-Christian Celts and Norsemen are especially evident in Martin's Northmen, the Starks and the Free Folk, descendants of the first men and women and successful resistors of the Andal invasion. In our own history, when the Tall Island was invaded by Saxons and Angles, both groups looked north and seriously considered the possibility that proto-Viking tribes were mating with bears. The Romans believed the whole of Britannia was filled with snarks and grunkins, and they may have been right. From Myths and Symbols in Pagan Europe by H.R. Ellis Davidson. Quote, Vigorous male animals such as horse, stag, bull, and bear, together with ruthless birds of prey like the eagle and raven, were seen as special manifestations of supernatural power. The entirety of their universe was pictured as a great tree or pillar, and they laid emphasis on the creation of the world surrounding this and foresaw their ultimate destruction. She goes on to say a little later, In spite of the rigors of the climate, the place where men sought contact with the supernatural powers was for the most part in the open air. We hear repeatedly of sacred woods and groves, sanctuaries and forest clearings, and on hilltops. Unquote. They were literal worshippers of the old gods, not yet bonded to the new Christianity slowly creeping in from the east. George loves these old stories, especially the ones about the ravens. And raven tales love us. They have deep roots in human culture, across continents and throughout time. Thousands of stories that aren't connected by anything but a fascination with the genus Corvus. These birds are on every continent except South America, so there has been thousands of years of contact between our species. 2,600 years ago, the ancient Greek slave and storyteller Aesop loved ravens, maybe more than George. The birds in Aesop's fables are sometimes smart, sometimes foolish, they can even play the trickster if it suits them. But other Greeks gave the raven more formal respect. In their heavens, Apollo was the god of prophecy and ravens were his messengers. Not only could they speak to humans, but they were imbued with the voice of a god. Powerful respect indeed. In the Talmud and the Quran, we see the fable of the talking bird taking a different form, shot through with Eastern mysticism and the language of the birds. King Solomon's wisdom is credited to his knowledge of the warbling vocabulary of all the flying creatures who inform him of goings-on near and far his little birds. 
The language of the birds is another common mythical element, people being informed, misinformed, given warnings and prophecies by birds. These tales were told and remixed and reformatted and rearranged as people lived and died and the dust of their bones blew away. By the time they made it to the Northmen of our own history, the raven had become more sinister. Bird songs sounded sweet, sure, but we're told that if we could hear the instructions in the song, they would drive us mad. Raven's knowledge is an old Irish phrase denoting a seer's supernatural powers. The Norse god Odin had two ravens that sat on his shoulders and whispered in his ears. The hero Sigurd learns the language of the birds when he accidentally tastes the blood of the dragon Fafnir, and talking birds lead him along for the rest of his story, convincing him to commit murder, steal the treasure of the man he just killed, and then run off with his girlfriend. Sigurd wasn't a church mouse before he started talking to crows, but the little black buggers didn't exactly drive him to acts of charity, right? Ravens are one of the only birds who consume dead flesh, including humans, so they're frequently associated with battlefields and death. George's title for the third book in the series, A Feast for Crows, is a little bit of genius, in my opinion. Metaphors and interpretations related to the Night's Watch are easy to find, but let's not forget the literal understanding. When men die, crows feast. The Welsh and Irish tended to favor this more sinister version of the tale. The name Bran in Welsh is usually translated as crow or raven, and in his 1905 book Celtic Myth and Legend, historian Charles Squire called Bran the Celtic Hades. The crow was one of three forms taken by the Irish goddess Morgan, mistress of war and death, from Squire's book. Quote, Wherever there was war, either among gods or men, she, the great queen, was present, either in her own shape or in her favorite disguise, that of a hoodie or carrion crow. An old poem shows her inciting a warrior. Over his head is shrieking, a lean hag quickly hopping over the points of the weapons and shields. She is the gray-haired Morgai. Unquote. I mean, isn't that a story that could very easily be told by old Nan? Right? A warrior queen warging into a crow and badgering the soldiers? Of course it is. Of course it could be told to Bran in his bedroom, but it's not. It's the story of the Irish goddess Morrigan. In the old Irish poem, The Second Battle of Moitura, is a hero named Nuada who loses his hand and has it replaced with a silver one. His tale ends with a crow coming to tell everyone of the terrible days ahead, the language of the birds being shrieked as a warning. Abandon your hopes. Give up your plans. Destruction awaits. It remains to be seen if Bran's shrieking ravens will have the intended effect. It's reasonable to suspect that George Martin knows all of these tales of the Blackbirds and many more besides. He's mixed and messed with the tales as he loves to do, and of course that is the tradition of great storytellers. From the Wiki of Ice and Fire, quote, The children of the forest taught the first men to use ravens to communicate over long distances. The green seers of the children could change their skins and speak through the birds. Unlike humans, ravens can speak the true tongue, the language of the children. The drowned men of the Iron Islands believe that ravens are servants of the storm god. In the faith of the seven, the first raven is said to have been let into the world when the crone peered through the door of death. In the godswood at Raven Tree Hall in Blackwood Vale, there is a dead werewood of colossal size. Every evening at dusk, hundreds of ravens come and roost on the tree all night, as they have for thousands of years. Unquote. So we know the children of the forest could both speak to and speak through ravens. 
right? Because they could tell ravens things to go and repeat, but their green seers could speak through the ravens, travel as a raven, do their green seer thing. There's further evidence of this in World of Ice and Fire on page 7. Quote, Though considered disreputable in this, our present day, a fragment of Septon Barth's unnatural history has proved a source of controversy in the halls of the Citadel. Claiming to have consulted with texts said to be preserved at Castle Black, Septon Barth put forth that the children of the forest could speak with ravens and could make them repeat their words. According to Barth, this higher mystery was taught to the first men by the children so that ravens could spread messages at a great distance. It was passed in degraded form down to the maesters today, who no longer know how to speak to the birds. It is true that our order understands the speech of ravens, but this means the basic purposes of their cawing and rasping, their signs of fear and anger, and the means by which they display their readiness to mate or their lack of health. Ravens are amongst the cleverest of birds, but they are no wiser than infant children, and considerably less capable of true speech, whatever Septon Barth might have believed. A few maesters, devoted to the link of Valyrian steel, have argued that Barth was correct, but not a one has been able to prove his claims regarding speech between men and ravens. Unquote. Could Septon Barth have been communicating with the three-eyed raven, or one of the children, or another skin changer or green seer? I don't know. I, sometimes it can be hard to tell, as I said. Ravens are known to be the trickster when it suits them. And of course, most ravens are not vessels for wargs. Most ravens are simply birds of above-average intelligence, more interesting in context than as individuals, really. Also from the Wiki of Ice and Fire, quote, The maester of each castle usually tends to its own flock of ravens. Maesters raise a breed of large white ravens at the Citadel that are said to be more intelligent and are sent out to mark the change of seasons. Ravens sometimes imitate human speech like parrots. Most ravens are trained to fly to a specific castle, but some few can be taught to fly between two castles and are therefore greatly prized. Once in a very great while, a raven can learn the names of three or four or even five castles and fly to each upon command. Birds as clever as that come along only once in a hundred years. Unquote. But of course, that's the maesters talking, and they don't put much stock in the old legends. To be fair, we haven't seen a lot from the blackbirds at Old Town that would indicate magical ability. But the farther we go north, the weirder things get, right? Gior Mormont, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, when Jon Snow joins their ranks, he had a raven. A huge bird with a loud fucking mouth that seemed to pick on Snow from his very first day. He only spoke one or at most two words in any outburst, but they were oddly appropriate sometimes. Calling Jon King... Screaming burn, burn, burn when John was fighting the white. Fan theories overflow the banks of the Trident. In the books, Mormont's crow throws his weight behind John during the election for a new Lord Commander, and that seems to be the deciding factor. Even the hardened bastards of the Watch believe there's something to that bird. You can't kill it, you know. Why not? Because the raven is you. But of course, no character is more associated with ravens than Bran, whose name means raven in Old Welsh, remember. Bran dreams of the three-eyed raven and risks everything to find it. When he does, Martin takes the remarkable step of mixing all the raven tales into a new cocktail, equal parts Solomon and Morgan. Rather than just hearing about a talking raven or listening to one speak warnings of the future, we become the raven. 
We not only speak with its voice and see with its eyes, we fly with its wings. From A Dance with Dragons, Brand 3. The drifts grew so deep that they covered the entrance to the caves, leaving a white wall that Summer had to dig through whenever he went outside to join his pack and hunt. Bran did not oft-range with them in these days, but some nights he watched them from above. Flying was even better than climbing. Slipping into Summer's skin had become as easy for him as slipping on a pair of breeches once had been, before his back was broken. Changing his own skin for a raven's night-black feathers had been harder, but not as hard as he had feared, not with these ravens. A wild stallion will buck and kick when a man tries to mount him, and try to bite the hand that slips the bit between his teeth, Lord Brendan said. But a horse that has known one rider will accept another. Young or old, these birds have all been ridden. Choose one now and fly. He chose one bird and then another without success, but the third raven looked at him with shrewd black eyes, tilted its head, and gave a quark. And quick as that, he was not a boy looking at a raven, but a raven looking at a boy. From later in the chapter, Then he realized he was not alone. Someone else was in the raven, he told Lord Brendan, once he had returned to his own skin. Some girl. I felt her. A woman of those who sing the song of the earth, his teacher said. Long dead, yet a part of her remains, just as a part of you would remain in summer if your boy's flesh were to die upon the morrow. A shadow on the soul. She will not harm you. Do all the birds have singers in them? All, Lord Brendan said. It was the singers who taught the first men to send messages by raven. But in those days, the birds would speak the words. The trees remember, but men forget. And so now they write messages on parchment and tie them round the feet of birds who have never shared their skin. And there we have it. So many little strings tied, so many new threads loosed, right? Yet a part of her remains, he said. The children believed their souls were held in the weirwood network when they died, trees that would live forever if left undisturbed. But they were disturbed, and now the crows gather on the dead white branches at Raven Tree, the parts of them that remain in the birds, searching for their counterparts in the trees. This season, as Bran struggles to become a green seer, he is using the birds to travel north where his broken body can't go without losing friends. But it is not a permanent solution, and clearly the Night's King understands the rules of the game much better than the new Three-Eyed Raven. During the long night, many thousands of years past, the children were able to access the power of the forests, of the beasts and the waters to help defeat the White Walkers. But they were ancient, and though small in numbers, a tribe. Now they have to fight with only two hands, young hands, and without legs to carry them. The Three-Eyed Raven, as usual, says it best, from the Season 6 Histories and Lore, Children of the Forest versus the First Men. Yet after the dawn must come the night. The great evil that the children unleashed in the war returned centuries later, and only an alliance between the children and men defeated it. Now it comes again, when the children are a shadow of what they were, and men have long forgotten. But the trees remember, and Brandon Stark must learn. Or, as we watched the first men, so we will watch the last.
Hey guys, Matt here. You know, I used to say that I would never, ever monetize podcast Winterfell because really I didn't need to. I had plenty of money to do it and it was my passion. But the guys from the DVR Podcast Network who have taken over Podcast Winterfell for me decided to do a Patreon page because they're giving you more content each week than I have ever given you on Podcast Winterfell. And I really appreciate that the effort that they've gone through to do that including interviews, including three podcasts a week just covering the show, and maybe even more with a feedback podcast here or there as well. So you're getting a whole lot of content, and that's why it's worth it to go to patreon.com slash DVR and check out their pledge levels and make a pledge. I've done it. I am now a DVR Podcast Network patron. And I'm happy to get it because I get to hear some of the podcasts a little earlier than the rest of you do, perhaps. Also, I know that I'm going to continue to get even more great podcasts about other television shows by continuing to support the DVR Podcast Network. So quickly go to the DVR Podcast Network's Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash DVR and pledge your support for Podcast Winterfell on any level, a dollar, three dollars, ten dollars. There's all kinds of neat little perks as well for you, depending on what level you pledge at. Thanks for listening to me babble. Take care.